What's up, rockers, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify, and check out our webpage, www.talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and today's guest is a really interesting story. Um, you'll probably know him best for being the designer, illustrator, artist uh, behind the Judas Priest album cover, Firepower. That was yes. Judas Priest's latest album, came out a, maybe a couple years ago, I guess. Um uh, Anyway, uh, it was a great album. It was well-received. It went to the top of the charts all over the world. And this guy is responsible for the cover. And the story behind how he got the job is really interesting. That job and some others that he's done. So we'll talk to him in just a minute. Um, Jason, he's done some artwork for you. Yeah, the the new Cassius King, which is a very recent project that... Uh, you know, you could call it a COVID project if you want, a lockdown <laughs> project or whatever, but there's a story behind that as well. But yeah, when it came time for us to come up with some kind of imagery and, you know, that fit the music, um, you know, uh, Claudio was uh, one of the guys I had in mind, and I'm so happy uh, with the outcome. And, um, you know, that record comes out next week and the album cover is already out there. People can just uh, Google Cassius King, Claudio Bergaman, or you can go to ClaudioBergaman.com and check it out. But I think that we shouldn't waste any time and get into this. The, his story about how he, he met Richie, who b b Richie Faulkner, before he was in Judas Priest, yeah. while Claudio was living in London, he met uh Richie a few times and then does this stuff with him later on and Richie didn't remember meeting him is just it's like comical but uh actually came to fruition then now they work together all the time on uh, possible future Judas Priest designs Claudio designed that falcon on the back of Richie's Judas Priest stage gear you're going to find out a lot of cool stuff from Mr. Claudio Bergaman yeah, I don't think we should we shouldn't waste any more time. Let's get into it with Claudio. Hello, How are you, sir. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Claudio is in the Bay Area, from what he tells me. Um, thank you for joining us today. I know that uh, the connection here between you and Jason is. Uh, you just recently did the album artwork for uh, his, one of his latest projects, a band called Cassius King. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and, and then from there, Jason told me a bit more about you, and it got really interesting. So <laughs> let's just start with a, a, quick, uh, a quick story on how you and Jason connected, and we'll go from there. Uh, we met in a, a convention uh, type of event uh, in Portland, called Headbangers Con. And uh, I think it was the first uh, the first edition of that uh, convention, right, Jason? Yeah, and and uh, I I wanna just be clear, it you know, to me those it's either hit or miss with those types of conventions, but I, I absolutely love the idea of a convention for headbangers to go to. You know, when you think about 
um, you know, the KISS conventions. Well, we all know that that's just going to be a room full of nerds freaking out about KISS shit. <laughs> sign me up, right? Yeah, so, you say it like it's a bad thing. No, I, I sign me up. I'm uh, what, what, where's the punch? I'll drink the punch. Where is it? I'll take the shot, whatever I got to do. So sign me up for that. So uh, I was, I think I was a last minute addition to that. Um, but I, I was so happy because what a convention of just people talking metal. Oh, I'm so, I was so happy. And I didn't, you know, just by name, Claudio, for, please forgive me. People might not know who you are. No, I'm not, I'm not that famous yet. And I, and I am, and I, <laughs> I like was, how he qualifies I, that with and, yet. And I am guilty uh, of that. Uh, you know, so I'm what I like to call a micro celebrity. Micro. <laughs> I, I can dig it. I can dig it. So yeah. it was. It was. Uh, it was awesome to meet you. Once I realized your your achievements and your accolades and your and your rise to at least where you are now, you you uh, you you were very kind to me, and I all that goes a hundred you know thousand miles for me when headbangers meet each other. It's it's usually like. Oh, you you like Kiss? <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how everything go, goes back to Kiss. <laughs> a lot of times it does. A well, lot we've said this on the podcast numerous times. It seems like Kiss was the gateway for for most of us. Uh, that was the band that turned us into lifetime rock and rollers. And as yeah. you, as you can see from my my background here, um, I'm 54 years old, and there's still Kiss stuff hanging up in my house. Yeah, <laughs> uh, same here. Same. Yeah. My shrine is to my left. I have to thank my wife for putting up with me. So, <laughs> we, so all, guys, we all we all have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you I might. Like, a, you, I like. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt again, uh, David. I'm going to throw you not under the bus, but put you on top of the bus here, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> Dave, Metal Dave has interviewed Gene Simmons. Wow, maybe more than once, but wow, my my uh, my you. I have to kind of like say this because you you say you're you thank you're thankful to your wife for putting up with you and and putting you you said uh, to Gene because I remember the interview. I've listened to the interview multiple times. And you said, you already know what I'm going to say, don't you? You said, so. uh, my, my wife uh, still lets me put up kiss posters. And Gene's reaction was, what do you mean, lets you? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. That's exactly I was like, it. Ah, that's a little rough. Settle down, Gene. You know, yeah, yeah. like, lets you? How dare <laughs> her? You know, kind of. Oh. Uncle Gene is so, that's what we call it in the, in the, in the Kiss Army. Uncle Gene is always a lot of fun to talk. And uh, especially what's in, when, it's, when he's in character, you know, because yeah. he has two sides to him. Sure. You know, the, the, the private Gene, the business guy, which is, I, I met that guy and it's pretty down to earth. And then he has a character. Yeah, that annoys everybody that is not a Kiss fan. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and some that are, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But definitely. Anyway, back, back to our our meeting, it was it was awesome to meet you. I I I hope I'm able to say that this has, and it took a little while because you know I I held your I kept your your business card. I guess you were out of technically out of business cards, and you had no. I I I forgot them at home. 
the postcard <laughs> you had the postcard with you a piece of art that which we're definitely going to talk about on one side i don't want to give it away just yet and you had your email address and i hit you up when i needed an uh an artist for this new project cassius king and which by the way the it came out amazing uh it's you know anyone can go look up the cash new cassius king record and see the art it's already floating around online uh, the record comes out uh, next week and uh thank you for that it came out amazing and i i hope i'm able to say that we are friends now yes we are okay great <laughs> <laughs> I got that going for me. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, uh, I was over at Jason's house about, I don't know, a month ago or something like that. And uh, he showed me the artwork on his phone before it was publicly unveiled or whatever. And I was looking at it and I thought, wow, that is really cool looking. And it, it, it reminded me it has sort of a, to me, it had a, a, a Black Sabbath Master of Reality sort of vibe. Well, the logos certainly do. Yeah. But for those who are listening, uh, Claudia, why don't you sort of describe the inspiration and, and the outcome and the final results? Tell us, tell people what we're talking about here. Well, the, the inspiration came from uh, Jason's idea. I mean, he, he already had the, the, the vision of this, uh, you know, guy uh, that either escaped or was let go from, <laughs> from a mental institution. And uh, he was wandering around the local cemetery. And uh, I immediately imagined this kind of vintage type of image, kind of a, not necessarily based on an album cover, but maybe a horror movie, you know, an, an old horror po poster from Hammer Films, you know. And, right. and then uh, the logo, it's something I would have never done on my own, to be honest with you. Not that I don't like it. It's just a little outside what I usually do. I usually go for more square type of logos. But I love it. I mean, I, I kind of I like when people. Sorry. No, I was going to say I, I kind of asked you to 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 go psychedelic. Yeah. It needed to be moving. You know, it needed to kind of be like this sort of like a hippie jam thing. Sort of, right. It's got a wavy and, sort of image. And also, it, it, which uh, made me think, what was the original inspiration for that type of wavy logos? I think Black Sabbath got it from old horror movies, and um, as, it, as it, probably it, as early as fifties and sixties horror films. They were kind of a uh, wavy and and freehanded, you Correct. know. So uh, and also that 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 remember that we talked about the voyage to the bottom of the sea logo. It also had that wavy type of design. Yeah, you know? It's almost like in, in my mind. And I think that we talked about this and you sort of like uncovered the actual uh, process of how they would use, get, achieve that kind of lettering. But to me, just in layman's terms, it looks like, you know, someone drew a logo and, you know, spent time to get tight lines and everything of logo and made it waterproof or you know, laid it down underwater and then made ripples on the water and took a photograph of it, which is exactly what it in my mind is like. Oh, that's right. cool, but honestly, that's you you debunked that and said that's not how they do that, Jason. And then you told me how. But uh, regardless, I love the way the logo came out. Yes, it's a kind of an homage, kind of a ripoff of what the Master of Reality logo is doing, but again. To be clear, once you start digging back in time as far as like the old 
original horror movie culture goes, you start to see this type of uh, a font, if you will, uh, of this kind of moving letters, right? Well, in fact, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, a lot of insp- uh, Zaba, the band, took a lot of inspiration from old horror movies. They took yeah. their name the from name, the name yeah. comes from a from a Boris Karloff movie, right? right. Black yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. Right. And the, all of those fifties uh, and early sixties movies had that kind of a either kind of a freehand, uh, a very bold type of logos, you know, and that which I love. And uh, I actually have done some of that for some of the. You know, the other side of my work, when I work with a cryptozoologist and guy and, you know, the Bigfoot uh, explorers. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna have to talk about that. By the way, let me just raise the flag here for a second. Uh, Claudio is into some strange shit. <laughs> Aren't all artists? And so am I. <laughs> so this is really great that we get to hear his. He has literally touched like you know rubbed elbows with uh Travis Walton people who have been abducted uh bigfoot researchers uh, this yeah. sort of like n- not necessarily the macabre you know he hadn't like held the fang of count dracula or anything yet not yet but, but uh <laughs> you know this it's going that route so <laughs> i think that uh yeah this is going to be a good episode um so so let's go into how you did so so we've got a lunatic you know here's my idea that we got a lunatic standing in a where'd you get the graveyard claudia oh the graveyard is a, a photo shoot i did about 13 years ago in london i was uh i was uh exploring the city while i was living there and um i was particularly interested in gothic cemeteries you know victorian type of cemeteries with big uh, mausoleums and, you know, statues and all of that. So uh, everybody kept telling me, you have to go to Highgate. Where's that? And it's in uh, West London. It was almost an hour trip from where I lived, all the way across the city. And then you get to this really nice kind of a a secluded uh, suburb of London, uh, very traditional. And sure enough, like right in the middle of this, just binding road, there's the cemetery that looked exactly like the the horror hammer movies. You know, whenever you watch that, you know, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing going through this cemetery with vines and, and vegetation growing on the on the tombstones, and you say that, that can't be true. It is true. I mean, and uh, and you say, well, they don't have a caretaker that they would, you know, cut the vines. They grow so fast. That yeah. it, it's very hard to keep the tombstones clean, you know. Yeah. So that's what anyway the person, especially when they're that old. How old do you think some of those? How old is the cemetery? Cemetery is at least five hundred years old. And it's very, very old. Yeah. Okay, so that's it's actually, and it's actually amazing that, you know, I I pitched the the art idea to you, and you're like. Well, as a matter of fact, I have all of these photos from a cemetery and blah, blah, blah. Let's just put your lunatic in there. It's kind of actually working with you was was super easy because of the things that you're already into. It was just a really good match. And the cover is great. And the idea, if I don't say so myself, actually really 
uh, worked out well. Yeah, and then and then the, the the character is a friend of mine, and I photographed him by by the pool in his house. <laughs> so it was just a matter of dropping him and match the light Did you of, the, of the existing picture. So. Did you use a green screen or no? No, oh, okay. You just I just it. I you do have to be mindful of the light direction though. Sure. Because I mean, if if the original picture, the light comes from the left. And then you have the character with the light coming from the right, yeah. then it won't match. Basically. So there has to be there has to be a certain amount of awareness of the, the 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 light design and tone of the two pictures, so they would match. Yeah. There's a lot of I've seen a lot of uh, Photoshop jobs on the internet that are not necessarily badly done in terms of Photoshop skills. Everything is well cropped. Uh, everything looks professional. But then they didn't pay attention to the lighting. And you can tell there's elements that, that don't match. Oh, I can see where they crop that, you know. So that's kind of the, the biggest mistake I, I see uh, on, on Photoshop work on the Internet, like not paying attention yeah. to collecting the different photo elements, you know. So, so the fact that I only knew you prior uh, – to be an, an artist, an illustrator. And I want to get into like your earliest, uh, you know, how did you get into that? When did you start sketching? What was your influence? Were you, you know, I mean, I'm going to guess movies and comic books from when you and, were a child. And cartoons. Cartoons. All right. And kids. Well, yeah, that is, that's <laughs> kind of, and kiss. Right. So that is a, you know, that's kind of, I don't like the word generic, but that se seems like it would be common with the style that you have sort of, you know, carved for yourself. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. I, I do, but it's but been the a fact that you're doing long. the fact that you're a photographer and can also, you know, manipulate, uh, 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 you know, photography into and and it's it's conceptually sound. I think that comes from how how great. By the way, I love your art. I love your sketches. You. Your illustrations are incredible. Thank you. Um, and you're paying attention to the lighting. You know where the lighting goes. But were you a photographer before you were an illustrator? I'm going to guess an illustrator. Um, no, it was oh. the other way around. I was an illustrator before I became a photographer. Oh, that's okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But well, it's it's. It's obvious to me because <laughs> I became an illustrator when I was 10. You right. know, I just started really early yeah. and um, in the in the 80s, mind you. Yeah. I was I was I was I was 10 in the mid 80s. Okay, you're um, a young man. Yeah, and Got so it. I was into all of the you know in the 80s. I feel, I feel the guys, turn I feel the turn of the knife over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the, the 80s were a very interesting time for cartoons. There was a massive wave of new, uh, very cutting edge, new type of cartoons that didn't exist before. G.I. Joe, the Transformers, the Thundercats, uh, Masters of the Universe. These were type of, uh, I would call now, avant-garde cartoons because they, they mixed classic fantasy art like Frazetta and Boris Vallejo into yeah. the, 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 the cartoons. Basically, they took 
what it was already going on in the comic books and took it one step further in terms of uh, the look of the technology, yeah. the design of the characters, and yeah. uh, they took a lot from Japanese animation. Of Japanese course. animation were doing that in the 60s. Oh, yeah. You know, Trans giant robots, yeah. giant Power robots. And Rangers, Transformers, Speed Racer, all that shit. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so real quick, real quick. I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but when you were, you say, ten years old, you started to really figure out, you know, uh -huh. type of a thing. Where were you? In Chile, I grew up in Valparaíso, Chile, in the coast of the Pacific Ocean. Beautiful. I bet it's amazing there. It's uh, it's the topography is similar to San Francisco. A lot of people compare it to San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, back then, cartoons were big. We had um, just five TV channels, <laughs> and one of them would would it has a whole afternoon of cartoons. So every kid in the '80s and every every kid in Chile remember this to this day that w you would get home from from uh, from school and you would spend like the afternoon watching cartoons, and it was. I remember it was a struggle for parents to get kids to do their homeworks because it was a packed afternoon of Transformers, uh, Speed Racer, all the Japanese mixed with uh, the American cartoons. So, and I was like, oh, you know, and trying to draw as fast as I could to copy these cartoons. And then my dad got me a Betamax. So I started recording and press pause. Oh, yeah. And I started copying, you know, uh, 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 just a G Force. Remember G Force? Yeah. G Force and yeah. uh, and those were my favorites. Um, the Masters of the Universe and uh, some old cartoons that we got late. Even cartoons from the early seventies that got in Chile like fifteen years later, right. like uh, Majinga and, and and Gundam and Voltus Five and all those Transformers with swords, yeah. you know, and some Japanese guy driving it. So a lot of inspiration came from that, which later in the story will translate into a Judas Priest album cover. <laughs> Yay. Right? That's right. Yeah. We, so we, then to answer your question, I was uh, a cartoonist for a long time. I was trying to get into comic books back in Chile. But then when I went into art school in the 90s, um, art school either will propel you or ruin you. That's the way I see it, because it would turn you into a snob and make you think that whatever it is that you're doing already, it's not good enough for art. Yeah. There's a lot of snob mentality in, in the art world, you know? Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to go that way and just uh, going, just presenting an apple in, a, in, a, in an art gallery. Right. This is my, this is my art. Right. No, I wanted to do traditional art, illustration, painting, uh, sculpture. So um, that sounds like that sounds like when you're a young kid and you hear, I don't know, kiss and you and you go, I want to do that like for the rest of my life. Right. And your parents get you a cheap guitar and they sign you up for guitar lessons. And on day one, they're showing you how to hold the pick. They're showing you how to hold the guitar, and in in your head you're going, I already know how to hold the guitar and the pick. I'm a Kiss fan. 
right? I just jump and stick out my tongue. It's the thing. <laughs> right, sure. But but I under, you know, I understand that you have to learn chords, you have to learn right. what the guitar does, you have to figure out what the instrument can do and what it's supposed to do, but usually a, a kid who's already like a rock and roll fan has these visions and they want the quick jump to, you know, you I want mean, to you yeah. want to get there as soon they as possible. To, well, they want to present their individuality much like you don't want to paint an apple and go, there's my art. You, as a kid, you're already wanting to, you know, hear a loud, crushing guitar chord like that blows your hair, you know, mm -hmm. that shakes the earth. And you can't get there on day one, and it's kind of a bummer. So a lot of people, I think, take a handful of guitar lessons, and then once they learn a couple of chords, they really end up holding up, you know, solitude with their record player all summer long. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what happened to me. And it sounds like as far as, like, I know, uh, uh, Claudio, you're a musician as well. So yeah. I know that you understand exactly what I'm talking about, but it's also with your art as well. You you already have vision. You go to school, you're in, like, an art college, you're, you, or, you know, you go to, it's like people who go to Berkeley Music School, and they're learning about all this stuff, and they're learning about theory and how this, they're, they're learning how to paint an apple. It takes it takes a, a stubborn mind and really being in love with what you like to right. to maintain a balance of what you're learning, basically taking the best of what you're learning and then dismiss what you think it might compromise what you already like and That's you just right. want to keep doing that because it's your individuality as a musician or as an artist. Yeah. You have to keep that core, uh, I guess, quality of you as a creator and not let the current trend in that particular school to just tamper with that. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. yeah. That's so, very well put. So basically what I did was just dismiss what I thought it was nonsense and just uh, snobism and just keep keep the, the good the good teachings from uh, there's there were certainly a few teachers, few uh, art teachers that I'm friends to this day that really shaped me in a good way. But there were some others that I couldn't stand. I just went through the motions to approve the, the courses, but I couldn't stand them. I thought they were snobs, uh, uh, just unbearable snobs, you know. So I was just like, yeah, OK, whatever. I'll just approve this and just get over it. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, you are. So, I think that you you probably already saw your path on what you what you liked and the styles that you liked, because when you think about, I mean, some of your art, and we're gonna we're gonna post some of our some of your art as we as we talk about it. Pay it to everyone who who is watching this on YouTube, can look can see or just go to your website, which will give you the website. We can give it now if they want to write it down. What's your website? Uh, ClaudiaBergamin.com. That's uh, the one website. And then I have another one who is Bergamin. It's BergaminArt.com. And that's my uh, online store. That's where okay. I sell all my prints. So pay attention to the detail. Click on these, these photos of his art, these prints. Uh, and the detail is 
amazing. Your illustrations look like photographs, and your uh-huh. photographs look like illustrations. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess, I guess, I guess it has come to that. It wasn't always like that. Well, um, I didn't, like I said earlier, I didn't know you were a photographer. I just thought you were an illustrator, and I thought that my vision was going to be this illustration. And we had a little bit of a, it's, they're called deadlines. You know, mm-hmm. professionals have deadlines, and we had to get up to us. Well, for the quality of work that we need and the time that we have, it's going to be photographs. And obviously, I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's move forward into... Uh, some of the other things that you're, or you want to talk about the obvious? Let how did you hook up with Judas Priest? Yeah, and 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 for and before we even go there, we should tell people that we're talking specifically about the 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 Judas Priest album cover for the latest album, Firepower. Correct. Yeah. Uh, that's Judas. The, the last album Judas Priest released maybe two years ago now. Great album, by the way. And that is Claudio's artwork on the cover. So, how did that happen? Uh, it's it's actually a long longer story. You can um, start right now. <laughs> I met Richie Faulkner in London when I was living in London about twelve years ago, uh, more than twelve years ago, thirteen years ago. Mm. And uh, he was he wasn't in Judas Priest at the time. Right. He was the guitar player in Lauren Harris band which was uh harris's daughter right yeah correct so i think he was either just quitting the band at that point or was already out of the band just recently and uh i i think he was uh playing in some other projects but he was what i do remember that he was uh trying to get endorsement by gibson so he wanted to get an original guitar an original Gibson guitar, uh, custom made, based on certain designs. So he said, "Hey, dude, can you do some guitar designs for me?" Mind you, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, a luthier kind of, <laughs> by any means. Right. I just what I did was just grab a picture of a Les Paul and just start painting on top to make it look in a certain way, you know. And I did that with, I think I did that with a Les Paul and a Flying V. So I did some crazy designs with, you know, mix, mixing uh, materials, metal mirrors and different type of things to make the guitar look cool, you know, and metal, right? So that was the first job I ever did for him. And this is the funny part of the story. Um, we met a few times, not many, probably two or three times that we met in London. This is pre. Uh, this is pre mention of Judas Priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't know anyone in Judas Priest, right? No, this is right. mid. This is mid two thousand and eight. I was working surely, in London. Surely he had met Lauren's dad. Sorry. Surely he had met Lauren Harris's dad. Well, he uh, he actually lived in one of Steve's houses in oh, London. Yeah. Oh, okay. The, so he shared. I think he sh- the story goes that he shared. My, Steve, my, my landlord is the bass player for Iron. Right. <laughs> right. And he, he, I think Steve's had several properties around London, and he was sharing. He was sharing. I'm sorry. If you don't pay up, they send Eddie over. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think he was sharing one of those flats with uh, Michael Kenny, which is, he is also my friend. He is the bass tech, uh, Steve's bass tech, and also keyboard player 
you know, behind the stage. Oh, okay. in, so, so he's actually a member of Iron Maiden as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so I, I met Richie just a couple of times. Not not many. We weren't hanging out all the time. It wasn't like that. So then I moved back to Chile, right? In the mid mid 2009, late 2009. And Richie reached out to me in social media. I think it was Facebook, like a couple of years later. And I said, hey, Richie, how are you? And he didn't remember who I was. What? <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was reaching out because he remembered me that I was a photographer and an illustrator. But I said, should I do this? But then that conversation came later, like uh, a couple of weeks later. And I said, remember that time in London? And he was like, what do you mean? We met before. We met before. And he was really, I don't know. <laughs> so, and then, and then I got a job with Rob. Look, what I'm trying to say with this story is none of the Judas Priest connection are connected to each other. They're all pure fucking coincidence. I met Richie and then he reached out to me by coincidence because he didn't remember me. This is and then Twilight. I got a job with Rob Halford. This is way Twilight. Before Hold on. This is Twilight Zone shit. Yeah. It's like, doo, 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 doo. you do not remember me. So, so why, why was he reaching out to you if he didn't remember you? Was it just... He saw, he saw my artwork on, on Facebook. He liked it. And he, okay. okay. Not, nothing related to us meeting before. Okay, gotcha. Or the, guitar, gotcha. or the guitar designs he asked you to do. Right. 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 Okay. right. So, um, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. And you're getting ahead of the story. The okay. guitar designs were done when he reached out to me. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Gotcha. So and I, what I meant was from the moment we met in person to the, the moment he reached out to me, he didn't remember we already met. That's okay. what I meant, you know? Okay. So, and then uh, just a little bit before this, I got a job from Rob. At the time, he was releasing a solo record and then he released a, a live album live at the Saitama Arena, okay? Okay, what- So his manager reached out- What version of Rob's band is this? Sorry? What version of Rob Halford's band is this? Is it two, is it Halford, is it Fight? No, Fight and and two hadn't existed for like 15 years at that point. Oh, okay, so, all right, just getting getting some timeline. This is is Halford. Halford was the only active band he had at the time. And I think he's still active with that band. Is the live, it's not live resurrection, is it? No. Oh, okay. No. Live, funny enough, that's another weird connection. Have you seen the live resurrection album cover? Yeah, yeah. I have it. It's Rob <laughs> holding a flag. Have yeah. you seen it? Yeah. That's the Chilean flag. And I'm in that audience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in that uh, wow, that is awesome. You were destined to get this job. <laughs> so, so you, what? So, tell us one more time. What what album covers did you do for Halford? You did. Wait, a wait, wait, wait. Yeah, well, we need to go to the to through the timeline for this. Okay. okay. So, around the same time, around the same time, I was doing this job for Richie, and before he joined Judas Priest, I did this uh, job for Rob. I think it was a few months before he joined Judas Priest, right? And uh, his manager at the time reached out to me, a guy named uh, John Baxter, who later on got into some legal uh, uh, disagreements with Rob. Uh, it was I read highly- about that. I read about that in Rob's book. 
Yeah, he, I, you know, I don't want to talk shit about people, no. but he was kind of an odd guy. You okay. know, he was odd. It was an odd job. Uh, he asked me to do the sci-fi illustration for the album cover, which I did. And I sent him uh, uh, sketches and advances. You know how it works. You know, there's no surprises with what I do. I usually keep keep the client uh, informed of what I'm doing. But then just when I finished this fucking very intricate, complex illustration, he changed his mind. And he said, you know what? We're not sure anymore. It looks too too uh, cartoonish. Uh, we want something simpler. I said, fine, what do you want? Uh, and my, to their credit, uh, they, they still pay me what we agreed. And uh, they give me even a little bit more for the extra illustration. And the illustration was very simple. I just took a part of the illustration, the, sorry, the, the cover, a part of the illustration and overimposed it in a live photo of Rob, right? It's, it's a cool cover, but it's nothing special. And it took me a, a, this percentage of the time that it took me to do the other illustration. Okay. So I was kind of disappointed because when, whenever you do a job, any type of job, uh, you expect that the job speaks by itself and gets you more jobs because it's good. Yeah. This other cover, the second one, nobody's going to call me because of that. It's very unimpressive, right. you know? Okay. So, and again, uh, it's Dave's question just again regurgitated. What live album cover are we talking about? It's uh, called Live at the Saitama Super Arena. It came out in 2011, I think. I don't think I have that. It's an album and DVD. Okay. Okay. Lots it's recorded on, on an arena, a big kind of a state-of-the-art, very modern-looking arena, okay. you know, uh, in, in Saitama, in Japan. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, it came out great. They paid me. Be done, be done with it. And then, a few months later, Richie joins Judas Priest, right? And mind you, while everything, all of this was unfolding, I was working with Richie, either with designs, for the guitars, or uh, I did, I remember uh, he, I got a text from him one day and he said, dude, they're making my outfit for Juice Priest and I need something to put in the outfit. So I designed a little eagle, kind of falcon type of thing to put on the back of his uh, kind of vest, leather vest. Yeah, I've seen right. it, yeah. And uh, yeah, I designed it that too. Wow. So I was already collaborating with the band in, to some capacity and uh, Richie, to his credit, he always tried to push me <laughs> into the Judas Priest uh, camp. You know, you know, my friend can do this, and they were. But he's a new guy; he's half the age of the other guys. Right. So I'm sure whatever he proposed, he's taken with a grain of salt. Oh yeah, uh, get you out of here, kid. Go practice. Yeah. <laughs> and then, to his credit, again. He grew from that to becoming an equal to all of those guys. And now he's like as involved and his opinion is as evaluated uh, as any as Rob's or, or Glenn. And, uh, and it's a credit to his intellect. He's a very bright, very smart, very perceptive type of person. He knows exactly where to go, what to say and what to propose, either musically, graphically. He's a, he's a great guy to work with. Um, he has great ideas, he, and what it's most important of all, 
he understands Judas Priest because he's yeah. also a fan, yes. you know? So yeah. he knows what the fans want and are expecting. So I would say he keeps, I, I, I wouldn't say I have to, you know, pick my words carefully here. He knows what to propose to keep the band in a certain train, in a certain role. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And uh, when uh, the time came to do the, his first record with the band, Redeemer of Souls, he called me. And I actually proposed ideas for that record. Mm. And But I guess they weren't ready yet to go back to the metal creatures, the robots, the Transformers, because basically that's what they did in the 80s. Yeah. Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith are Transformers. That's what they are, you know. Yeah, yeah uh, it's 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 based on Japanese animation, you know, and uh, so I wanted to go back to that because if you look at the uh, Mark Wilkinson's album covers, uh, the other guy, the guy who's been doing the covers from Rain Me Down, Ram It Down on, okay, he is more into. Uh, uh, Sad Winds of Destiny. That's what he likes. He likes the winged creatures, yeah. kind of the angels, the fallen angels. Yeah, I like that. But to me, Judas Priest is metal creatures, robots, right? Yeah. So I wanted to go back to that. So what I proposed for Redeemer of Souls, which at the time, the, the working title was Metalizer. Isn't that metal? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. Metalizer. <laughs> so I, I, I went back to one of my favorite Priest album covers, which uh, is Killing Machine, you know, that, that yeah. face with the glasses. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And turned that cover into. Hellbent for Leather, known known by most. In America, it's called Hellbent for Leather. America's Hellbent for Leather. And in Correct. Killing Machine. In killing machine. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the, it's, the, it's the same image with the shattered glasses and the helmet. And yeah, yeah. Right. So I turned that cover into a robot face like a transformer face, Ooh. very intricate with a lot of details, you know, joints and moving parts. And, uh, and I did three, three different, very different robot faces. And Richie loved them. He said, yeah, if they don't go with this, I don't know what they would go with. <laughs> so I proposed them, didn't hear from him in like a week. And then he told me, ah, they didn't go with it. They want to go with the other guy's proposal. And I said, well, it must be really good then. But <laughs> it turned out it was something very similar to what they did before. So that's what happened with a lot of bands, uh, classic bands. Yeah. Um, mind you, the cover he did is great. It's really well done. Mark is a master of what yeah. he does. Yeah. But they were, what I got from the, from the experience was that they weren't willing to change yet to try something new and different. You know, they were fine with that. Basically, they were going through the motions and just not necessarily repeating, but going into a, just one line, right? Comfort zone. Right, yeah. comfort zone, exactly. And yeah. which, I, I get it. I mean, yeah. it's a fine line when you are when you have a 50-year-old a band. It's a fine line with experimentation and just keeping what the fans are waiting for. Yeah. You know? Then yeah. you got the elder or Nostradamus, you know, yeah. right? So, so it just, just deviates too far from the from the trail, you know. Right. Experimental, so it, right. huh? The experimental. It's a fine line, especially for a band like Judas Priest, you yeah. know. Sure. Um, 
So when the time came to for firepower, I think they went to Mark first before me because that's what they do. I mean, they've been working with the guy for 30 years. So I get it, you know, but apparently they didn't like what he proposed. And mind you, I've never seen that proposal ever. Nobody has ever shown it to me. And uh, Richie described it to me kind of, and I said, okay, it's and I can imagine it kind of looks like the previous album cover. <laughs> so, and uh, I said, that's, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna put all my chips in just one proposal. And uh, this, and I have to read, uh, give credit what credit's due. Richie was texting me like every 15 minutes, like throughout that weekend, hey, you have to include this. And he would send me pictures of Japanese robots and, you know, and, and uh, video game uh, art, you know? And I was like, he was kind of, maybe he was maybe being suggestive uh, research. Yeah, no, well, this idea, firepower, is 50% Richie's, too. Yeah, okay. What I did was just grabbing everything from the ether. <laughs> he was, like, throwing ideas all over the place, and I was just grabbing, blah, 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 and put it all together. And this was a Friday, if I remember correctly. I got a message from him. He said, uh, they didn't like Mark's proposal. Propose something fast, like, quickly. Uh oh, like, ah! you know, <laughs> so this was a Friday. I went all the way from Saturday to Sunday smoking weed and just sketching, you know, and like, <laughs> and I did all the sketches on paper. I wanted to go old school with this. And then I got a sketch I was happy with on Sunday evening with color on it, proposing on, on, on Monday morning. And it was approved by Monday evening. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's in a matter of hours. Wow. Right. It's not, and if you look at that sketch, it's the cover, but rough. It's the same cover, but it's just pencil and yeah. doodles, you know? Yeah. But it's the same cover. I mean, it didn't change much. It was just refined for the final version, you know? Right. So is, is it fair to say that's easily your most widely recognized piece of art at this point so far? Why? I, yes. Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm, I, I would imagine. I mean, you don't get much bigger than a Judas Priest album cover. Holy <laughs> smokes. And especially an album that, uh, you know, I'm a big Judas Priest fan. So is Jason. And that album, I think, is a great, great record. So not only is your artwork featured on a Judas Priest album. It's also featured on a Judas Priest album that in a lot of respects was viewed as sort of a, a bit of a comeback for them. So it was getting all kinds of press and uh -huh. rave reviews and everything. So you're attached to something that not only is a, is a legacy brand name, but is considered to be, you know, one of their better pieces of work in, in recent years. So that's huge. That's it is. And, I, and they, and they are aware of that. I mean, they are aware of how praised the album is. It went to number one in the first week. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and I think it, it was a, a, a cosmic conjunction Alignment, of yeah. uh, elements because it was not only the album cover that fit right in, but also the production of the record. They went back to work with Tom Allen, the guy who yeah, yeah. produced all the records in the 80s. Yeah. But they kept... But they kept, uh, um, what's his name? Um, Andy Sneap. Andy, they kept Andy, 
Yeah. For because Tom, I guess what they wanted from Tom is the understanding of the tradition of Judas Priest, the classic yeah. sound. But Andy, he has the modern touch, so he yeah. makes the record sound up to today's standards. You yeah. know, that's yeah. his, that's his skill. He knows how to do that. He has worked with Testament and Accept and a bunch of new metal bands, so he knows how to make the record sound tight, yeah. not too compressed. Because that's what I like of his production. I don't like when things are compressed and just one, one line of, yeah. you know. Yeah. I like to yeah. listen to everything separately, and that's what he does. He does it really well. So, so you were saying earlier in the in the conversation that uh, when you you take a certain amount of pride, as I can understand, you you take a certain amount of pride in your artwork being accepted and recognized, but. The, one of the benefits of that, of course, is then it leads to future jobs. So here you are with the album cover for a Judas Priest album that by all measures was considered a smashing success. Mm -hmm. So have they been back in touch with you for the next album yet? Uh, well, <laughs> I, can't go, I can't go there because it's, uh, it's everything is uh, in the motions right now. Okay. Uh, I can't I'll, take, say, I'll take that as a yes. I can't say anything, but... <laughs> Even if I propose ideas, that doesn't mean they will go with my ideas because sure. they're, still, they're still working with Mark, you know? Right, right. For instance, uh, did you see that a couple of days ago? Uh, a big box that came out for 50 years of Judas Priest? Did you see that? Uh, I heard that they were putting something out. I don't think I've seen it, though. It's I've a big box with all of the records and posters and a book and uh, some... My, uh, a co-worker of mine has it, and he's just like, he t took a snapshot of it and the photo doesn't do it justice. He's like, it's the Holy Mother. It's like, yeah. you start opening this, it's like three hours later, you get to the bottom, you know. Right, well, the, the packaging was designed by, by Mark. So wow. it's still They're there, attaching to the band. So I, I, I you know, it's just, we're, we're sharing that, that opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, it's uh, plus so it's everything is up in the air right now because I mean they haven't go back to the studio in several months so yeah so as as a um, as an artist and also a, a metal musician and a fan of of heavy metal um, who are some of the artists that that you look up to uh, or, or that inspire you in terms of album artwork are there standout um, bands or album covers that uh, yeah. Certainly. Uh, the first one, undoubtedly, was Derek, Derek Riggs. Yeah. Um, uh, Iron Maiden. It was the first artist that, what, that I was aware of his name, right? Yeah. Because probably before Derek, I was drawn to a lot of album covers, but didn't know who made them. And, right. uh, and then they were all over the place. For instance, uh, I remember uh, one of the earliest album covers that made an impact on me when I was very young, I was like probably seven or eight, was the News of the World album cover by Queen, mm -hmm. yeah, which is done by an artist called uh, Frank Kelly Freeze. And he, he was, uh, he uh, I think it was an original illustration he did for a sci-fi magazine in the 50s or 60s, which Roger Taylor asked him to rework for Queen, you know? Right. And uh, that was one of my earliest, it's one of my earliest uh, memories of being stunned by an album card. I said, what is this? 
and he's also holding the van in his hand. So it it was very uh, uh, mythical, if you want to call it somewhere, because it was an illustration, but he has the band members on the illustration. So well, that made, me, that made my imagination. It's a gatefold. You open it up, and and there's a hole in the roof of. That's the, the inner, yeah, the gatefold, yeah. The auditorium is there's a hole in the roof, and it's trying to like running for their lives, you know. And he's got the, he's reaching down and grabbing the band off the stage. Incredible moment, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That I record mean, uh, blew my mind when I was. I think I got that when I was about ten. Yeah, yeah. so that was one of the earliest uh, album covers that really made an impact on me. And then there were others I were familiar with that I really liked that, like. The Journey album covers Ooh, with the yeah. Scarab, yeah. and uh, and but then and the Kiss album covers too. You know, some of them are great. Destroyer, you know, uh, Love Gun. Yeah. But then when I saw when I first saw and this was the album that I was just came out when I just started getting into rock music was Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. Oh yeah, and that was a game changer. I was yeah. like, "Whoa, what is this?" You know, yeah. I've never seen an album cover like this. It was just so original and bold and and well done technically. So mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of factors combined in one album cover. It was creative. It was mind blowing in terms of the the, the technical skills. Um, and and I had to get this record and see what it's all about. You know. And um, and then that led me into, you know, it was right about the time I was discovering heavier music, you know, Iron Maiden, Jews Priest. Uh, so Derek was certainly the first one. And then I started to discover other artists like, uh, you know, uh, um, um, uh, Storm Thorgerson, who did all the album, all the Pink Floyd album covers. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rainbow album cover, Scorpions album cover. So I realized he was the same guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. we did uh, the Blackout album cover. Sorry, not not the Blackout, but the the um, the uh, Animal Magnetism and Love Drive. Same yeah. guy as the as the uh, Pink Floyd album covers. You know, yeah. and then and then I discovered Hugh Syme. He does the Rush album covers. Mm -hmm. So this all unfolded when I went into this rabbit hole that Derek got me into. And yeah. uh, and then when I met Derek years later, you know, I said, you know what? This is all your fault, you know? <laughs> Where did you meet him? Um, another interesting story. When I came to the States for the second time, I stayed at my friend Michael's place in Los Angeles. Michael Kenny is a keyboard player and bass tech for Steve. Uh -huh. So um, uh, he knew Derek because they when when Maiden was recording all those awesome records, uh, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, uh, they were recording those albums in the Bahamas, right? Right in, yeah. in Nassau. So uh, unlike any other band, because Iron Maiden is not a regular band, they don't do anything regular. You know. <laughs> They took all their crew to the Bahamas, roadies, even the artists. You know, they took Derek to the Bahamas and he was painting those album covers in the Bahamas. They were all standing in the same compound, you oh. know, Nassau. <laughs> so, and I think uh, Michael was sharing a bungalow with Derek while he was painting Peace of Mind, Power Slave, and Somewhere in Time, you know. Oh, 
Holy so, God. <laughs> what? He got to see <laughs> wow. out of his brain onto pages. Right. So um, I, I remember one of the stories was um, when you go to uh, Michael's house, it's like an Iron Maiden shrine because he has the like, gold records on the wall. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a tiny place. Everything is like stuck together, you know? <laughs> and he has like Steve Bases and gold album uh, album uh, awards and this is the crazy part. He has like a, I don't even know what to call it. It's like a giant palm tree of backstage uh, passes okay. all the way from the seventies to now, like wow. this fat of backstage passes, you know, and in the middle, there's like classic one, like peace of mind, power slave passes. Like, well, ah, I was like yeah. out of my mind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things he has in his place is the original discarded peace of mind album cover, the actual painting, you know? Wow. Which is not finished because Derek was painting it and Steve and Rod walked in and he said, you know what? We don't like the fact that Eddie is on his knees. It's the same cover. The only difference, as opposed to Eddie like crutching, he's on his knees. Wow. You know? So they didn't, like, they didn't like that. So mind you, this is way before Photoshop. Everything was done in, a, in an artboard yeah. on, on, on gouache painting, right? Yeah. yeah. We have to start over. Yeah. You can't paint on top, you know? Right. So... <laughs> He did the album cover, everybody knows, right? And then the, the other painting was like just lying on the floor. And, and, and Michael was like, what are you doing with this? And they're like, what, do you want it? Sure. So he took it home, still has it. People have offered, offered him six figures for that painting. I believe it. God, that's crazy. So, and I have a picture. I'll send you a picture so you can overimpose it here. I have yes. a picture of the painting. So, and I, and I said one day while I was staying at his place, I said, uh, an exclusive. So I said, so, um, are you still in touch with Derek? And he said, yeah, every now and then, can you take me to his place? (laughs) 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 Begging me, please take me to see Derek Riggs. So we drove to uh, Southern California. That's where he lives. He lives in Orange County, Orange County. So he took me there. I tried to behave, not <laughs> not to be uh, too much of a fanboy. Yeah. But uh, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I was like biting my lip not to make all kinds of annoying questions about the album covers. Oh, but uh, now we're friends. And actually, uh, we wouldn't have met Jason if it wasn't for Derek Riggs because he invited me to uh, Hitbangers Con. Ah. Really? Oh, that's right, because he was there. He was one of the guests. He was there. And he said, oh, you have to, but if you want me, you have to take my friend Claudio, too. <laughs> really? Oh, he had, they actually say that. Oh, he said that. Yeah. Well, wow. not him, his wife, but, you know, his wife uh, is his manager, right? Yeah. So they pushed my name to, so I'd be in that convention. So if it wasn't, if it wasn't for Iron Maiden and Derek Riggs, we would not have met Jason. Amazing. Wow. So, so I met Derek Riggs at the Whiskey at Go-Go you know, a long time ago, maybe 2010 or 11. I, I can't really remember. I was doing a benefit concert for a friend of mine who passed away, Michelle Meldrum, uh, 
who was at one point uh, a member of a band called Phantom Blue, which uh, contained members, current members of the Iron Maidens, uh. who are friends with Derek Riggs. Now, yeah. uh, Tommy Pond's The Dangerous Toy, and I met him at the, I met uh, Derek Riggs. He was there hanging out because he knows the Iron Maidens, Phantom Blue, and it was, you know, it was family night at the Whiskey. It was a celebration of Michelle's life. And I was flown out uh, to perform some songs. Uh, basically, with the Iron Maidens, they learned. Uh, I did a couple of old Paul Diano songs with them, Wrathchild and something else. And they learned Scared, the Dangerous Toys song, and, and sang Scared with the Iron Maidens. Wow. Yeah, it was really special. Um, wow. And I, I had known uh, Linda McDonald, the drummer. I, you know, I met her at Michelle's house in, the, in like the mid-'80s. She, uh, she so, played in another band, another girls band in the eighties, right? Well, what's the name of that band? I, if it wasn't Phantom Blue, I'm not quite sure what it. I think that it, that's what it was. It was an old female band, right? Yeah, Phantom Blue. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. the band I'm talking about. Okay, so so Tommy Pons met Derek Riggs a couple of times, and at one point he uh, took my uh, my first Iron Maiden cover with him. And had it signed and then brought it back to me. And you can see Derek Riggs, uh, uh -huh. to Jason, all the best, Derek Riggs. And I love awesome. it that he put the little symbol that he puts yeah. on the artwork. That's his signature. Yes. Yeah. It's a, if you look at it, it's a D and an R opposite. Yes. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, it is. But he did write his name, too, which I'm glad he did because, yeah. Um, yeah. And then years later... Um, right around the, the time that I, well, it was actually, Paul Diano was doing a, a solo tour, and this would have been in 2010, I think. Uh, uh, I, met, I met my wife for the first time at this Paul Diano show. It was in January of 2010, I believe. I have the set list, has the date on it, and I had Paul Diano signed. So I only have Paul Diano ah. and Derek Riggs. I only have Paul Diano and Derek Riggs on the. I'm so bummed, not that I only have. <laughs> and you raised, and you, the raised uh, you raised the value of that record for like a thousand percent. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. I have uh, I have the first one, Killers and Made in Japan, all signed by Paul Diano, but no You're Derek winning. Riggs. You're kind of winning there. No, yeah, Derek Riggs. I, I probably actually devalued him because I insist that they uh, that they all sign it to Dave. <laughs> oh, right. So it says to Dave, Paul Diano. Or it says to Dave, and he signs all of them with cheers, Paul Diano. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So Claudio, if you could design or illustrate an album cover for any band in the world, which which would you which well, band would you choose? Good question. It's not that hard to imagine which no. one it is. Although Jason might be might be thinking on a on a different. No, I'm not, I'm I'm wide open. I'm trying to not make any assumptions. I'm I'm going to take two guesses, and, okay. and and here's here's my guesses and the reasons why. I'm going to guess number one, Iron Maiden, just because of the legacy of Derek Riggs and their and their awesome artwork, and yeah. number two, I would I I'm going to guess for not necessarily for artistic reasons but for commercial reasons metallica because there's just not a bigger metal band on the planet so am i right on either one of those uh you're not wrong but <laughs> uh, metallica has never been one of my uh, aspirations one because i know they 
they haven't done an illustration on their album covers in a long time. Like the, the last one was in 1989. And I don't see them putting an illustration anytime soon on any of the album covers. So there's a, a certain factor of uh, realism that, yeah, okay. you know, but Iron Maiden, that's, uh, it's not only, uh, my style would not only match what they like, but it's also a possibility because I know people, but it hasn't happened yet. And it's not because, it's not because they haven't seen my work because I know they have. Yeah. It's right. just because Iron Maiden is huge. It's, yeah. a, it's a big company. So they work with not one guy anymore. Now, in the 80s, it was only Derek. Right. He, was, he was the only one doing all of these fantastic illustrations. And they have them, they have them on the payroll. I mean, it was, a, it was almost mm-hmm. a, 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 another uh, a, a employee of the company. I, I don't yeah. think that was the deal, but it, it manifested like that, right? He was always working for Iron Maiden, like full time. Well, he was now, doing, he was doing have, T-shirt designs for the tour. You know, it, uh, different markets would they would have a new T-shirt. That's Derek Riggs. And not only T-shirts, he did posters, right. Christmas cards, uh, tour books. I mean, for each album, you have like fifteen illustrations. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was crazy. So he was all working all the time. Nowadays. They work with advertising companies. They have several artists doing different things. They have one artist doing the pinball machine, another artist doing the comic book, another artist does the the video, another artist does the the album cover. Then they had a separate guy to do a single. So I think he has grown into this big monster and just one artist getting there is very hard because you have to go through a secretary the secretary of the secretary of Rod Smallwood, yeah. <laughs> and then you will get to Rod Smallwood. So it's hard. I know Michael has pushed my work into. I know Steve has seen it, but yeah. I thought beyond that, I don't. I don't know. But Iron Maiden would be great. Yeah. Well, everybody's be- seen your work at this point, man. I yeah, mean, yeah, I mean, what yeah, a, what an honor to 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 have your work featured on a Judas Priest record. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and even if I even if I I don't do another cover. I'm just very happy that I did that one, you know? Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. So Claudio will will explain further and fill in the gaps here. Um, a lot of Claudio's art, seemingly a lot, uh, is a lot of UFO and Bigfoot stuff. And I'll okay. just, for lack of a better word, Claudio, excuse me, I'm going to say the phenomenon of each, as well as more things. Claudio might be into some weird shit. To me, Bigfoot is not weird. Uh, well, I like to know? call it. I like to call it high strangeness. Ooh, I like that. Is that the name of your new doom metal band? I was gonna say high that's strangeness an album title. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. Anyway, so uh, Claudio has gone to these uh, sort of excuse me if I say it wrong alien conventions or where people who have a story like Travis Walton who wa- was apparently abducted and uh, Hollywood, a Hollywood adaptation of his story was made for it in the nineties called fire in the sky. There's a book version that Travis probably wrote with another, with a writer. 
And no, he wrote it. He wrote it himself. Yeah, uh, that was interesting. I, I've always been uh, uh, fascinated with the height strangeness and paranormal phenomena and cryptozoology and ufology. There you go. All the terms in one. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, so, and, and, and it shows in your artwork, which is kind of why you're here on Talk Louder today. So let's keep it within your realm, but as reasons why you need to explain because uh, Dave hasn't seen these prints yet but I want you to I want you to start uh, start with Travis Walton and the and the prints that you I need, I need to go back I need to okay, go back a little fine. bit before that uh, when I was when I was a kid uh, along with cartoons and and science fiction movies I was fascinated with fascinated with all of these topics and I remember uh, a particular show I used to watch when I was a kid called in search of with Leonard Nimoy. Remember that show? Yeah. And he had had each episode, exactly, each each episode uh, had a different topic, right? One would be about Bigfoot, the other one would be about UFOs, another one would be about ghosts, the Loch Ness Monster. So I was fascinated with these kind of shows. You know, I I also loved Cosmos with Carl Sagan back in the 80s. Those were some of my favorite shows when I was a kid. So I was always into it. Now fast forward in the story, <laughs> like to as recent as uh, five years ago. Okay. I decided to tackle this subject in art form, which mind you, I've never done before. Even with all my, my previous commissions, never ever done one piece in this subject matter. It all started I need to interrupt. I'm so extremely happy that you did because the shit came out awesome. Yeah. It looks great. And um, fast forward because the story about you meeting Travis and everything and how this kind of steamrolled is awesome. So, yeah. So I had, I, I had in the back of my mind for a couple of years before that, like from 2014, doing some art for this, for this subject, right? But I, 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 there's so much that you have to pick and choose what, what to do, right? So you have to pick the, the you know, the, the cases that stand out, right? So I did, the first one I ever did was Bigfoot. And I wanted to do the uh, ultimate Bigfoot, is what I call it. I mean, the illustrations, everybody wants to see uh, the- Bigfoot, the, uh, people want to see Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did a full body shot of Bigfoot walking to, towards the camera in the middle of the redwood forest, you know, okay. like Northern California. Yeah. So I wanted to convey, you know, a summer warm type of light with heavy thick vegetation around him, but you can tell is the Northwest, you know, it's redwoods or, you know, any national park. And, um, but I also didn't want to show him too much. So I have to, part of his body is covered in shadows. You can see some of it. So I wanted to keep it mysterious, you know? And uh, uh, that illustration was done. I did it on my own, nobody commissioned it. So I did it on my spare time, posted it on social media with no pretensions of anything, just sharing that my interest. I thought people yeah, were going to- my, Hey, check out my Bigfoot. Yeah, I just, and I thought people were going to laugh. Some people laugh, my from old friends, you know? Mm-hmm. 
But this thing, this thing exploded. Of course, it got it shared in every fucking Bigfoot website in the in the in, in the internet. You know, does not surprise it, me at all. Wow. And uh, and that got me to jobs right away with people I've seen in documentaries. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, another rabbit hole I went into. You know? Yeah, yeah. So and then my second project which I did also on my own. Nobody commissioned it. A couple of months later, I did Fire in the Sky. But I wanted to do it. I always, I, 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 well, I loved the movie when it came out. I went to the movie theater to see it, actually. Oh, wow, yeah. I was always aware that it wasn't true to what really happened, but I wasn't sure exactly what were the true events. So I started reading interviews with Travis watching his uh, appearances in several conventions, just heard the, the case from his mouth, right? Yeah. And I realized there were several very important differences between the movie and what actually happened. Okay. So I said, you know what? There was some, embell some embellishment by Hollywood. Well, yeah, they wanted to do a horror movie. Oh, yeah, okay. They wanted to do a horror movie. And Travis' real experience wasn't horrifying enough for Hollywood. Ah. So they added certain stuff to make it more horror, right. horror-like, right? right? And this is a funny part. When the, that, when, the, when the actor shows up after he had been missing, he looks horrified. He looks like shit. He no, looks, that's true. Oh, the, the, so the actor, I think D.B. Cooper was the guy? Uh, uh, D.B. Sweeney. Sweeney, thank you. Uh comes back in he's looking for a payphone. he just looks like he's been all that is true yeah, he's all that happened up. he's fucked up yeah yeah okay. all that is true uh, uh what's diff what's different uh everything that you see in the movie it's true it actually happened except when he's on the alien craft oh all of that is hollywood embellishment not even the aliens look like the one travis saw they, okay. they changed everything. And uh, the bastards, when the, Travis was involved in all the way through the process of the movie, from the script to the actual, he was on set. Well, every, he met everybody. He met James Garner and all the actors. He was there, I right? Show him at the in the like at the end of the movie and the credits, like with the crew or meeting. He's in the movie. He's in the movie as well. He's out uh, when the when the the the, the church scene. When uh, Mike Rogers talked to everybody, remember that scene? And he okay, just yeah. confronts everybody for, yeah. for town, he's, town he's in the church. <laughs> oh, he's in the town meeting. Okay. Yeah, he's in the town meeting. Okay. So, um, so I wanted to do an illustration that would convey the real story. You know, the, the actual design of the craft. I wanted yeah. to be accurate. Uh, and uh, even to the the model of the pickup truck they were using in the movie, they used a, a Dutch truck, but it was really an international truck. So oh, yeah. I wanted to 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 do everything. Yeah, your, your artwork has has details that are not they're technical details. Like no one's going to notice what kind of fucking truck they're in, right? Well, well accuracy is so so important to a story like this, right? It, well, it's the most important thing because, I mean, if you're accurate yeah, and you get interviewed thousands of times and you 
made a mistake and one of the little details is different in a in a subsequent version then people will say you're a liar oh yeah. you are you're making a lot up yeah but Travis story is so intric intricate and he has never ever changed ever and he has passed several polygraph tests not only him but every member of the logging crew and there were six other guys yeah they all passed the polygraph you know the chances for five, seven people to all pass a polygraph on the same story. I mean, it's enough to set to set to send somebody to the to the electric chair, you know, right. on, a, on, a, on a trial, you know. Right. So, anyway, I did this illustration, put it out just like Bigfoot a few months earlier. Now, to be clear, which one is it? Is it the one where the craft is in the distance and he's being sucked up by the light, and the other loggers are watching? Or yes. is it the one with Travis on the table? No, it's that I did that after that. It was the first one. Okay. Just the first one. Right. And uh, sure enough, it was so accurate <laughs> that I got a, 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 a like, not even, and not, I'm not joking, not even 15 minutes later, I put it out on Facebook. I got a message from Travis's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I thought it was a joke at first. You know, you know what that proves? You know what that proves? And it should prove to you, and I know you're you're a humble guy, but it proves to me that your art kicks ass. First off, they saw it, and it wasn't just like some bullshit, like stick men with, you know, some crayons and shit. <laughs> it was it looked fucking real. And you posted it up there, hopefully with a watermark so no one's printing it and selling it. And then, you know, uh, 15 minutes later, the guy that you painted is in contact with you. Yeah, that was so surreal. It was surreal. It, it was even yeah. more surreal than working for Judas Priest. Surreal. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, surreal. So I got a message from her. Because, the because of the outrageous story, it's, it's, it's like believing time travel. You know, it's like that. But, you know, the, the fact that is that you're interested in this material and that so much so that you did the research for these art pieces and next thing you notice know, that next thing you know you're having dinner with the guy you painted with bigfoot yeah you're having dinner with bigfoot <laughs> later you're getting asked to go on a date with bigfoot Bigfoot's going to send you a friend request on Facebook. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing shit, dude. Anyway, tell, so, us about, uh, tell us about them contacting you. Uh, well, he liked it enough. I mean, yeah. look, I mean, Travis has been uh, doing the UFO convention circles for a long time now. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was very uh, adamant to do it for the longest time. And he went to reclusion actually moved out of Snowflake because of all the harassing and all the people bugging him. Now, just to be well, clear, where is Snowflake again? Arizona. Arizona, thank you. Yeah. How is there a place called Snowflake in Arizona? <laughs> like the, the, most, the hottest state in the country, <laughs> there's a place called Snowflake. It's maybe it's known the, to White Dog. It's because <laughs> of the... Uh, the first settlers of that area were Mormons. Okay. There were two families that set foot on that area of Arizona. One were the snows, and the other one were the flakes. Oh. That's the story. 
Really? Wow, that's very, that's clever. Wow. You learned something on Talk Louder. That's interesting. <laughs> about that. So, um, Travis has done the circle of the conventions for the longest time. And there's a lot, he had done thousands of interviews. And the reason he wrote the book was to avoid giving thousands of interviews. So I just, I just put out the definitive version so no one will ever ask me again. That, that didn't happen, but that was his intention with the book. Right. So he, he grew accustomed of people giving wrong facts, uh, changing the story for the sake of selling news. Uh, he grew accustomed to that. And he said, you know what? There's nothing I can do about that. It just accepted it, that it was beyond his control yeah. what people choose to, the way people choose to present the story. So whenever somebody is accurate, he will stand out for him, right? Mm -hmm. So he saw this illustration. He, th he, th he thought he was accurate enough. and said, oh, who's that guy? Who did that? So he reached out to me and he said, I want you to do more because eventually I want to change all the illustrations in my book and I want you to do it. Oh, wow. So the second illustration, the one you just mentioned, yeah, I did that just texting back and forth with Travis to get the, the alien to look right. You know, yeah. my first attempt wasn't right. He said, look, they're too bulky. They're, they were thinner. Uh, the necks were uh, thicker and they were just pointing out different things here and there to make them look more accurate. And, uh, and I tried also to convey just the sheer terror he had while he was on that table because when he woke up on the ship, he thought he was at the hospital, mm. right? He was like coming out of it. His vision was blurry. He, he, he had a bright light just on top of him. Couldn't see what, what was going on. And he saw like several figures walking around the table and said, oh, cool. I'm in a hospital now. Everything is okay, right? And then if, when he finally comes to, you see this fucking alien head looking, staring at him with eyes as big as a, as, a, as a coin, you know, like looking at him like that. And he freaked out, which is totally freaked out, jumped back out of the table and just grabbed something behind him. And he grabbed this, uh, I guess, glass cylinder. He didn't know what it was for. Some kind of tool they had there. Started waving at him. There were three aliens, short like children, big heads, big eyes. Not the classic grays that people are seeing in movies with dark gray skin and black almond eyes. No, they weren't like that. They had big heads. They were very pale, almost transparent pale. And their eyes had the white part of the eye. And they had uh, uh, iris and a pupil. So okay. They were, wow. But they were huge. Right. Huge eyes, right? They wouldn't talk. They just look at him mm -hmm. and Travis even pushed one of them and it said they were so light that the guy just fell into the others. They were like almost weightless, like felt, felt like a marshmallow. That's how he described it. And the three guys at the same time raised their arms like that, like, hey, dude, chill out. And they left the room and left him alone in this room. If people go to your websites and see this, how many pieces of Travis's story did you do? And I have done three. What other, um, just, you have three? Just three. Now, there's another 
art piece that you've done that is the cigar shape craft. Yeah. Is that related to Travis's story? No, or- not, okay. no, it's not. It's just uh, I did that. Just uh, uh, I wanted to do a UFO piece. Yeah. But a lot of people think there on there's only one type of UFO. UFO. It's a saucer. And right. that's not true. Right. There are hundreds of different types. Yeah. And uh, the cigar-shaped UFOs are as common as the disc UFOs. Ah. So I wanted, just wanted to do the, the generic uh, sure. uh, cigar-shaped UFO. Sure. Well, I, I really want people to go to your website, um, claudiobergman.net.com. Com. Yeah. Uh, please go look at, at these pieces of art there. Uh, the, the detail is incredible. Uh, the stories that go along with the Bigfoot stuff, the, uh, I know there's more, um, I know, I know that you're, you're, you have become friends with, uh, Bigfoot hunters that actually mm-hmm. live in Texas. Is this true? Yeah. Lyle, Lyle Blackburn. Okay. He's, uh, he's from Texas. He lives uh, near Dallas, I think. Okay. And he's one of the most well-known UFO trackers around. He's in okay. a bunch of shows on the okay. Travel Channel, I'm sure History that, Channel. I'm sure that all of us who uh, are fans of this kind of lore know who he is. You, uh, you know what? You, you will will like uh, Lyle because he's also a rocker. Perfect. He plays in a band called. What's the name of this band? Um, Ghoul Town. Oh, Have I know Ghoul Town. I've, I've played gigs with Ghoul Town. Yeah, he's a he's a, a singer. A singer? I bet I've met. I bet I've met him before. Yeah, he's a you know he's a mustache, very cowboy like. He yeah. always wears wears a cowboy hat. Ghoul Town has been around forever. Yeah, he yeah. He's a band, and he's also friends with King Diamond. Well, if that, you believe that, that makes sense because King Diamond used to live in Dallas. He still lives in Dallas. Oh right. Well, he used to be in Carrollton. Then he was. In, he may still be. He may be in Plano now. Dallas is big. So I want to throw more things at you. Like, are there any uh, not, but not limited to album covers? Are there any album covers that you've done uh, by bands uh, not quite as popular as Judas Priest, but maybe that me and Dave have heard of? Yeah, well, I worked with uh, Rata Blanca. Uh, they have been one of, I mean, probably a lot of people are not familiar with them here, but they're huge in South America. It's, one, it's the biggest classic rock band in South America. Okay. Their shoes are always sold out, and they've been around forever, too, since the 80s. It's, uh, if I had to compare them, compare them with another band, they're kind of like... Uh, Jolene Turner's Rainbow. That's okay. the, that's the style they do. Lots Black of keyboards, lot of lots of uh, you know four by four fast tracks like Spotlight yeah. Kid, that kind of music. You know. Okay. Cool. So uh, I worked with them, and that got me almost as much attention as Judas Priest, especially in South America. How many covers? Uh, so how many? One covers? of the bands. How sorry. Many, how many covers have you done for Rata Blanca? I've done one album cover and. St- countless promotional images for them. So, um, and uh, working with Walter is always great. He's a fantastic guitar player. You you would like Ratalanka. It's in Spanish, but the music is right up your alley. It's great music, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And also I've worked with uh, a lot of European bands that are popular there, but not here. <laughs> like right. uh, uh, Battle Beast, Battle Beast, they're, they're on the way up. I mean, they're- I think I've seen some of your pieces for Battle Beast actually. Yeah, Battle Beast, I worked recently with uh, the Burning Witches. The Burning oh, that's Witches- Shmir. That's Shmir from Destruction. Yeah, he's, I think he's their manager. Yeah. Right? Uh -huh. So um, that's the latest one I did. And uh, he went to all of the charts. I was like, wow. I mean, yeah. it, got to, it got to number six on the German charts. That means Number one on the Swiss charts. Amazing. amazing. Mean, that means people are seeing your artwork. Yeah. So that's one. Uh, let me think. Uh, well, I worked with Rob um, before. Oh, and I also... One of the most interesting projects I've ever done, and you should check this project too, is I don't know if you guys are familiar with a, a it's not a band, it's a project called Arian. Have you ever heard of that? Bella, I don't think so. It's uh, A Y R E O N, Arian. It sounds familiar. Right. Well, he's a, it's kind of a cult type of musical project it's done by uh, by a, a dutch guy called arian lucasen okay. okay what he do what he what he does is this just uh totally crazy rock operas science fiction rock operas right so he's a master composer i would compare him with john williams he's just a genius musician wow. right yeah he, he uh recruits the best musicians to play on the on his records and also the best singers. Bruce Dickinson has sing on Iron Records and and Biff from from Saxon and uh, uh, Floor Janssen from Nightwish, uh, Lenny Wall from Kingdom Come. He has recruited wow. all the guy the singer from from Magnum. What was his name? Um, Don't know. Well, anyway, so he not only works with the best musicians but also with amazing singers. And each singer, each singer plays a different character on his albums because these are stories, right? Concept. Very cosmic, yeah. esoterical type of stories, wow, right? It sounds really cool. And the music, it's a mix of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a mix of, dude, it's, it's Aaron is it's probably around your age. You know, he was a guitar player in the 80s for a band called, oh, I forgot the name. It would, they got some some tracks on the radio in the 80s. Okay. What was the name of the band? Uh-oh. Forgot the name of the band. He, he had like his hair up in the air and he was wearing like, you know, zebra spandex in the 80s. But now he, he does this. And for the, the last record he did, he always gets somebody to do the voiceover. Yeah. For the record I worked with him, he got Rutger Hauer. Remember that actor? Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. For the latest one, he got John Delancey, the guy who played Q in Star Trek. Wow. Okay. Right? What's this guy's <laughs> name? Spell it A Y. No, it's A R J E N. A R J E. R, it's Argen, but you pronounce it Arian. The J is an I in, in Europe. What's his last name? Lucasen. L-U-C-A-S-S. -S -S -E I got it. Yep, I got it. What's the band, Jason? Yep, he's got a lot of hair. <laughs> so anyway, so Arian did this album with Rutger Hauer, 
right? And it was about this guy who is preserving a cryogenics and he wakes up like a thousand years in the future. And the world has changed. All his friends and relatives are dead. And he tried to get used to this new world. So each song is about some weird shit that it's in the future. For instance, there's another uh, one song called, which is my favorite on the record, and I did a great piece of artwork for it. It's called Pink Beetles in a Purple Zeppelin, right? <laughs> so the song is about this service in the future that if you want your perfect band that doesn't exist, an artificial intelligence will create this band for you. For instance, if you like Iron Maiden and Kiss, this AR will create the perfect blend between Iron Maiden and Kiss and do it for you, right? So, and there's another song about that, about uh, in the future, uh, um, just com committing uh, 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 controlled suicide is normal. Like if somebody doesn't want to leave anymore, you can go to a place and get killed. You know? <laughs> so, uh, it, Arian has a mind like this big. So, uh, I. I can guarantee you, you guys will enjoy the records. They're great music and it's progressive, like a mix of Yes and Dream Theater and Pink Floyd. Sounds it amazing. Everything on the mix and it's great, great music. So, so uh, he uh, he was in a band called Bodine, B O D I N E. Bodine. Yeah. Uh, so, but that was between 80 and 84. Um, it sounds amazing. Uh, the uh, the things that you've gotten to do and that you've sort of been able to uh, put your vision into working with artists, singers, and songwriters, and you're a musician yourself, um, I think that you know you 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 were right where you you need to be, and uh, well, I I I really appreciate all of your art. You're you're really really good at what you do. I love the Cassius King cover. Um, you are great. Yes, yes, thank you very much for that. And yeah. the uh, the Judas Priest Firepower cover, uh, you even agreeing that that probably be your most popular current work. Um, you know, everyone, that's gonna be their, their starting point when they look you up. Um, I advise everyone to go to www claudiobergaman.com and also he has an online store. Do you want to give us that website? It's easier. It's bergaminart.com There you go. And uh, I really appreciate you. Dave, do you want to take us out? Yeah, uh, Claudia, I just want to thank you for joining us today. That was a fascinating story. Uh, what a huge accomplishment getting the, uh, the Cassius King album cover. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm thanks, joking. Dave. <laughs> I've been a fan of Jason since I was a teenager. So yeah, well, I, the, I'm 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 being silly, but the Cassius King album cover is is awesome, and I, like I said, I saw it earlier before it was uh, released publicly, and I thought, man, that's that's really cool. And Jason explained some of the details that went into it, and then the Firepower album cover. I mean, what a what a trophy that is to have on your shelf. So congratulations for that, and I hope it leads to uh, to more things for you because. It's a great piece of art on an album that was widely circulated and well-reviewed and people were happy with it. So uh, who knows? Maybe you'll get that phone call from Iron Maiden. I hope you do. 
And um, but mainly, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate uh, your background, your perspective, uh, your your stories. It's been hey, let's do let's do a full kiss show someday. Yeah, Uh, good. We do a kiss nerd episode. Yes, please. We would be really good to have on it because he has all the insight on the album cover artists. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that's another thing I wanna I wanna pitch for you guys before we uh, go to YouTube and look for my show with Dennis Wallach. He was the art designer for Kiss throughout the classic years from 1974 to 1987. And what's the name? Most of the classic. What is your YouTube show called? It's called the Making of the Kiss Album Artwork. Very okay. self-explanatory. You know? Great. <laughs> so each episode is about one album cover, and we dis- discuss it at length. So any Kiss fan will enjoy it. Awesome. awesome. Thank awesome. you for being here today, Claudia. Yeah, thank Claudia, you. thank you so much. Uh, and thank you all for listening. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, our guest today, Claudio Bergman, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, signing out for another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. 